Hi everyone, Katie Anderson here and welcome to another installment of my author interview series. Today I am really excited to have Joshua Plenert here to talk about his new book, How We Go, and to explore some of the connections that we share about where we've lived globally and what it means to really be an effective leader to create a people-centered learning culture of improvement. So Joshua, welcome to my show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Katie. You're welcome. Before we get started, um, maybe you could tell folks a little bit about yourself and how you came to write this book. Sure. Well, I'm an engineer by trade. I've, I've worked in an, in an engineering position for a long time. Um, uh, when I got into engineering, I moved into management fairly quickly and realized I, I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> so um, I had a few degrees in engineering, but I went back to school and, and got an MBA and started to really get a passion for management and, and leadership and, and how we can do things better. Um, you know, in the engineering industry, as with a lot of industries, um, you know, the technical experts end up moving up into management positions and then they have to try and figure out how to do management. And so that became a, a, a big passion for me. How, how do I actually do this? And, and um, so I began exploring all different ways of leading people and, and managing organizations. So that's great. And you've lived in many places around the world as well, I, which I discovered through the rich stories that you share from your personal experiences in the book as well. What are some of the, where are some of the places you've um, lived around the world? Uh, yeah, growing up, my, my dad was a visiting professor in other countries. And so I got an opportunity to, uh, I grew up in Malaysia for a while, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I lived in London, England for a while. Um, I lived with a friend in, in Australia for a while. I lived in, in various cities throughout Ecuador for a while and, and multiple different states in the U.S. And, and um, most of it was just, just for fun. It was just to experience new cultures and new perspectives and, and get to know more people. So, yeah, I was, uh, As I was reading your book, I was really connected with that um, sense of being a real international person. Um, I've made choices to live around the world as well. And I think it, I know for me, it's really enriched my own perspective about, you know, how, you know, about cultures, about people and how we connect together. And also some of the shared sort of human qualities that we have, regardless of where we live or where we're from. So right. yeah, you well, never, I'm excited. never come back the same. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I'm excited to dive into um, hearing more about your book and sharing with my audience too. So let's start with the first question. What inspired you to write the book in the first place? I think my own frustrations. <laughs> I, um, I think because of my, you know, my engineering mindset, when I have a problem that I'm, I'm struggling with, I tear it apart and I really dig into it. And, and one of the challenges I was having was I saw so much value in, in lean principles and so many different management, management approaches. And um, I was having a hard time um, making improvements stick for the long term. And so I started tearing into that problem and figuring out how to do things better in, in my own position, in my own life. And, and I found ways that really simplified things quite a bit for me and 
um, the more and more I researched and dug into it and, and figured things out by trial and error, I thought I should put these into a book because this may benefit somebody else as well. Yeah. And I was, uh, I really enjoyed your storytelling. Um, it wasn't, you know, you never know what you ex to expect when you open a new leadership or management book. And I was really captivated by the way you wove stories together, both from historical, you know, research you've done as well as your own personal experiences and to really highlight, highlight the points. And that was very, very effective. So I, I, it made me want to keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That was the idea. I wanted it to not just be informative, but, but be engaging and enjoyable to read as well. So. I'm glad it came across that way. <laughs> yes. Well, as having written a book full of stories as well and struggling with how, or like as the writer thinking about how do I, how do I share this in a way that's going to both be engaging and captivating, but also be a learning experience um, is a challenge. So, um, so well done on that front. Yep. Uh, so how, you know, what question, if we think about the book, have you tried to answer in how we go? Well, I think out of that frustration that I mentioned, I, I really wanted to take culture change and simplify it as much as possible. Um, I had spent so much time studying it and researching it, and I often found myself feeling overwhelmed by it. I understood the value of culture and the importance of culture in organizations, but when it came to actually moving the culture in a new direction, it just seemed so daunting. And I thought, I, I really want to answer the question, how do we simplify culture change? Um, how, do we, how do we make it more accessible? I feel like it's human nature to avoid ambiguity. Most of the time, we, would, we prefer to do nothing rather than deal with ambiguity. And so I really wanted to break through the ambiguity of culture change of people and human behavior and organizational psychology. How, how do we simplify that so that an everyday manager can have simple things to do throughout the day that really drive significant improvements in, in culture? If you're, you know, if you had some advice for managers and leaders about, you know, those simple ways to, you know, create culture change, what are, what are some of your recommendations? I think a big one, and I think the focus of how we go is a perspective change. Um, I think because we've, we've always seen culture as kind of this mysterious, magical element of an organization, um, we, we fear it a little bit. And, and I think our focus is often more on learning how to tolerate the culture rather than change the culture. And, and I think you can see that in organizations because we, we create, when there are cultural issues, societal issues, we create more rules and thick books of policies to try to control behavior. But really policies don't, don't drive behavior. They might inform behavior to some degree, but their you know, purpose and, and, and um, systems are what drive real behavior. And so I think that it's in order to get started in simplifying culture change, you really have to change your perspective, stop focusing so much on 
burying people in rules and policies and start focusing more on purpose and systems that actually drive real human behavior. That I'm 100% with you there. You know, if we reflect on the title of your book, How We Go, how did you come up with that title and how does it connect to this concept of simplifying culture change? Well, so one place I lived was Hawaii. We lived on the North Shore of Hawaii. Hawaii has a very distinct culture and distinct way of speaking. And so when I got there, I went to uh, Kahuku High and I was a little bit um, intimidated by the culture and I couldn't understand what people were saying very well. And um, over time, I learned to really love the culture and really appreciate um, the way Hawaiians speak. One phrase that they use a lot is we go. Um, I had a friend who his, his dad was a limo driver. Every Wednesday, he would pick us up from school in a limo and we'd go and we'd spend the rest of the day at the beach. And um, I remember whenever it was, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, my friend would say, come Joshua, we go. And uh, that just meant, you know, let's go. But it, 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 over time, I found that it meant so much more than just an invitation to follow along. We go is an invitation to belong. It means that you and I are connected. It means that we are one. It means that we are unified. And so um, the more and more I studied culture and I, I found, you know, books and books on trying to define what culture is. For me, the definition of culture became how we go. It's simply how we go from one point to another. It's how we go about our work. It's how we go about becoming more unified and more together. Mm. And so I thought I couldn't think of a better title than how we go. That's, that's beautiful. I, I really appreciate hearing that and the richer dimension of what we mean by, you know, when we say culture change, sometimes it can just feel so, you know, I don't know, uh, pro just process oriented rather than human oriented. Culture is about humans and connection and belonging and, uh, you know, feeling part of a collectiveness. Uh, all right. Well, you know, so talking about how we go and how we create cultures, you know, your book talks about how you create more culture centered leadership. And so let's, let's explore that. Like what, how do you define cultural central centric leadership and what makes it so effective? Culture centric leadership is, is um, leading from that perspective that rather than leading just through control, it's leading through inspiring a, a culture that drives desired behaviors. Um, ideal behaviors or, or productive behaviors. So um, I think what makes it so effective is it's a principle-based approach, and um, which I think is a very human approach to leadership because human, human behavior is complex. Um, there's so many dimensions to it and every person is different. And I think when you're I think you can, you can far better manage the complexities of human behavior through simple principles rather than long lists of complicated rules. Um, but most often that's why, how we try to control behavior is, is thick books of policies and manuals and, and rules that limit people's contribution to the organization. And, and I think that this 
cultural approach of, of principles and, um, you know, what are the things that actually inspire behavior change? I, I think it's a much more appropriate approach when you're leading people. Yeah. I think um, a, good, a good example of, of what I mean by this, back in the 70s, there was a professor that did a kind of an interesting study. He was teaching a bunch of seminary students the Good Samaritan parable that teaches, teaches people just to help, help each other. Um, these students were asked to go across campus to teach a, a sermon on the Good Samaritan. So they'd been trained on the Good Samaritan, tr trained on the importance of helping other people. In their path along the way, they were, there was placed an actor who was in clear distress. And the study was to see how many of these students would stop to help the person in need. Um, the students were sent one-on-one -on -one, and half the students were put in a state, uh, a state of, of rushing. They were hurried. They were told you need to get there really quick to give your sermon. And the other half were told you have plenty of time to start making your way there. Um, of the first group, the hurried group, very little of them stopped to help, less than 10%. The second group, the non-hurried group, the majority of them stopped to help. And so you think about this, um, they were all had the same training. They all believed it was important to help people in need. Um, the thing that made the difference in their behavior was the condition, was the environment, um, was that hurried condition. In organizations, often we want to inspire people to do, for example, servant leadership. Um, we'll train them on servant leadership. We'll create policies about servant leadership, but then we don't see the behavior. And often it's because we haven't created that condition that allows them to be servant leaders. They're buried in meetings, buried in administrative work. And so the behavior doesn't happen. It's not because they need more training. Hmm. It's because they need a cultural environment that inspires that behavior and allows it. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I talk about all the time. It's like not, it's, it's very rare that people don't want to have a positive impact and help other people. I mean, it's part of our human nature, but either we don't have the habits that are aligned with that or those conditions that allow us to feel like we have the space to do that. You know, we're caught in this culture of like, everything's a crisis, urgent. We need the outcomes now. We're really, we like the more we actually can slow down and help each other, the more we will accomplish. And it's, it's how do we, how do we create that? that space and those conditions, I spot on. And how do we slow ourselves down to remind ourselves that actually we like helping other people generally is the right thing to do and we do have time for it. So yeah. um, it's, a, it's a, such a powerful example there that you've shared. If you talk, think about yourself in the process of writing this book, what is one thing that you learned more clearly through the actual creation of the book? Um, one thing that, that surprised me in digging into this topic more <clears throat> is how to view the structure of culture. Uh, I had read so many books and done so much study into the structure of corporate culture that I was, I was so overwhelmed by it that I didn't quite understand it. And I think that often we look at it from a very um, 
maybe a very academic point of view, a very anthropological point of view, and we break down the culture um, in, in that way. And so what I, what I tried to do is understand that structure better so that I could simplify it. And so I started writing down everything that I, I understood about the structure of culture and I filled an entire notebook on it. And I thought, all right, what do I do with this? And I spent six months to a year simplifying and reducing and, and came up with a very, very simple and quickly actionable structure for culture that helps managers see the culture differently, identify issues and, and, and recognize what you can do to actually drive some real change. So I didn't really expect that to come out of this. It, it you know, I wanted to be able to achieve that, but I, I wasn't sure it was really possible. I was really searching for something that was very simple, but extremely deep. And I was, I was pretty happy to be able to find a very simple way to, to look at corporate culture so that you can actually move it in the direction you want. <laughs> yeah. That, that process of expansiveness and then synthesis and distillation is, is it time, both uh, time intensive, but also, you know, those epiphanies that happen are so beautiful. And uh, thank you for having that and being able to share it with us in how we go. Uh, you know, we're talking about leaders making changes and leading culture change. If you reflect on yourself as a leader, what is one leadership lesson that you've personally had to change that's had a real uh, big impact? Well, I, I started teaching courses at the university level about seven years ago. And um, when I was first invited to teach, I was invited to teach a course that I hated as a student. <laughs> it was a, an Excel course about how to do, you know, advanced structural analyses in Excel and, and write VBA programs to do it. And I was not a fan of programming and I... <laughs> But I, I said, all right, I'll teach that course. And, and I went into that course. I remember walking into that class on my first day with, with a lot of anxiety and fear um, that somebody would ask me a question that I couldn't answer. And, and so I went in there with this idea that I need to defend my, my knowledge and defend my position as a professor. And I'm the one that has all the answers. And and I was a terrible teacher because of that. And over time, I had to learn to let go of that ego and, and realize I don't have to have all the answers. Um, if a student asks me a question I don't know the answer to, we can, we can explore it together. I don't have to try to defend my ego and, and, and be the one that has all the answers and that absolutely changed the way I taught. It changed the way I lead. When I started teaching that class, it, they, it had a 30% failure rate and I was able to bring it down to a 5% failure rate just by changing the culture and the environment within the class and letting go of my own ego and, and creating some excitement to explore the subject a little more. So for me, that was a really big leadership lesson was letting go of my ego, which is a hard lesson to go through, but it was important for me. So. That's amazing. You really sounds like you really created those conditions for people to really learn 
And that required you to also accept that it's okay for you not to have all the answers. And I think my experience is that so many uh, managers and leaders get caught in this trap as well, that, you know, we have this mental model that leadership is about coming in with all the answers and saving the day, but really it's about setting that clear direction of, you know, what's what's the goal we need to achieve or what's the challenge that we need to move towards and then creating those conditions for people to learn and be successful as well. And that, you know, means either us not sharing all our answers or letting go of maybe I don't have the right answer. And that's uh, requires a lot of humility, right? So, <laughs> so powerful, so powerful. So thank you for sharing that. Um, the last question I always like to ask people is what's one question that you are not usually asked about the book um, or that I haven't asked today? And what is that question and what is your answer? Um. I think I think one one question that is is important is why you know there are so many experienced managers who already know so much have read so many books and and have done so much study into this area why should they read another one <laughs> what why should they read how we go um my my uh grandfather was a storyteller um, I, I don't know if it's because we we have a Native American background or if every grandfather is a storyteller. I don't know, but he loved to tell stories. And um, one of my favorite stories was was a time when he was serving as a sheriff of a small town in um, Montana, in Brady, Montana. And um, he, it was a town where everybody knows each other. I think my mom's graduating class was like twenty four people. Very very small town, all ranchers and farmers and um, my grandfather, um, everybody knew him by the name Dick. And so he was, he was out patrolling one night and he came across a car that was on the side of the road, but the headlights were on. And so um, he recognized the car. He, he knew it was an older gentleman from town. And so he, he pulled up behind the, the car to make sure everything was okay. And he got out and as he was walking up to the car, he realized the engine was running yeah. and revving. <laughs> And he realized that the car had gone off the road right at the railroad tracks and become high centered on the tracks. And so the back wheels were just spinning in midair. And so he, he walks up to the driver's side window and, and knocks on the window and the, the gentleman inside kind of jumped in his seat and, and looked up at him and then looked down at his speedometer and looked up at the road ahead and kept his hands on the steering wheel, kept, kept doing what he was doing. So my grandfather knocked again, and again, he looked up at him and looked down at his speedometer and kept his hands there. Um, so my grandfather knocked a, a third time, and finally this older gentleman he rolled the window down and looked up at my grandfather and looked back down at the speedometer and looked at my grandfather and said, what are you doing, Dick? I'm going 60. <laughs> and I think, uh, obviously, he was a little intoxicated. He didn't quite understand what was going on, but um, I think so often in organizations, we do the same thing as managers. We, we do everything right. You know, we have our hands on the steering wheel. We have our headlights shining on the road ahead. Uh, we have our foot on the gas and we're maintaining the right speed limit. We're doing everything right. We're doing everything we were taught to do. Um, but sometimes it takes 
somebody stepping up and challenging your perspective to realize you might just be spinning your wheels and not making any real progress. Um, I think that's so important in management and leadership to have times where you can have your perspective challenged a little bit and you can look at what's going on from a different angle. And that's really what How We Go is designed to do. It's designed to help you look at, at your condition, your team from a new angle so that you can identify opportunities for improvement. Well, that's great. It's, it's a really well-told uh, book. I enjoyed that story in the book and so many others, both from your experiences and uh, you know, from historical times as well. Thank you for taking the time to distill all your thinking down to a really easily digestible book that was engaging to read as well. So well done, Joshua. Thanks, uh, how can people um, get the book and how can they contact you? The book is on Amazon and the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So that's a good place to find me. Okay, great. And we want to also highlight that um, Joshua is giving away three copies of How We Go to three lucky readers anywhere in the world who um, in the first week that this interview comes out. So check out um, all the links below to register to win a copy and definitely get your own copy on Amazon of well, as well of How We Go. Uh, this is Katie Anderson. Again, you can reach me at kbjanderson.com or on LinkedIn or Twitter, my YouTube channel, and now the audio version of these interviews are available as well. If you like this interview or others, check out other you know, videos, articles that we have all created to help you become better leaders, to create real continuous improvement cultures of learning. So again, thank you, Joshua, for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Katie. Bye, everyone.